this is Jan Swift, and you're listening to Discover Lafayette, a podcast dedicated to the people and rich culture of Lafayette, the gateway to South Louisiana. Our taping is made possible with the support of Raider, a hands-on IT service provider that integrates all of your needs for advanced technical support, effective communication options, and cybersecurity. Raider's motto is, you just want it to work. We understand. Please visit RaiderSolutions.com for more information. The generosity of Oxner Lafayette General also makes this podcast possible. As Acadiana's largest regional health system, including two teaching hospitals and the region's only level two trauma center with more than 5,500 employees, Oxner Lafayette General strives to put patients first and make caring their top priority. In continuous efforts to reach more patients, Oxner Lafayette General provides services throughout Acadiana and facilitates telemedicine throughout the state, making healthcare more accessible for everyone. For more information, visit oxnerlg.org. Support for this podcast also comes from HomeBank, providing mobile app and account notification technology to help customers detect fraudulent activity because security is knowing. Find more tips to bank securely at home24bank.com. HomeBank, member FDIC. Today, we welcome Dr. Joe Abraham and Joan Wingate. They are tireless supporters of our parish libraries. Joe is president of the Lafayette Public Library Foundation. He's a physician, research biologist, and the award-winning author of King's Conquerors, Psychopaths, From Alexander to Hitler to the Corporation. And Joan has served on the foundation in various positions, leading Lafayette Loves Libraries as president and she currently serves on the Library Board of Control, the governing body of Lafayette Public Libraries. The foundation supplements taxpayer funding of our libraries by encouraging private donations that provide books and services and fund special programs. With the library being in the news so much, it seemed like a good time to be reminded about the importance of having a viable library system that is accessible to everyone, no matter their age, or socioeconomic background. Joe and Joan, thank you for taking time to tape Discover Lafayette. You're so welcome. Yeah, thank, thank you. you for having us. Thank you for having us. Yeah, Joan, I don't know that we've met before. It's a pleasure to oh, get to know your I, background. Yes. Daughter of Judge Alan Babineau and a very active in our community outside the libraries. I'm really glad to have this opportunity for you to share your voice. And this is Joe's second time to be on. You came on after you um, had just authored your book. Uh, which was fascinating about the history of man and some Thank of the you. scary things that we experience from generation and generation. So, yes, right, right. So let's just jump in. Um, as I said in the intro, the library seems to be in the news a lot, and it never used to be. And I think people may have misunderstandings about how the system runs. What is the purpose? of a good library system. So I don't know who wants to jump in first. Um, I'm going to let Joan go. She's Joan? been at this longer than I have. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> our, our, I would want to uh, compliment our forefathers in setting up the apolitical nature of our Lafayette public libraries. <clears throat> the, the power rests with all the levels. Uh, the parish council appoints the library board members. Uh, the library board members uh, employ the director. Uh, so there's no power vested in any one group or one level along the way. Uh, and for many years, we have run apolitically. 
uh, as we built the um, the 20 year building plan that was voted on in 2002. We got busy and built these four regionals and refurbished our main, and we were still in that apolitical world. And for the last uh, few months, it's been a little more political. It seems the library has taken on a, uh, the arena for many social discussions, and uh, maybe it's just part of evolving uh, into something the new. But um, I feel sometimes it takes away from the real purpose of a library, mm -hmm. providing that safe haven uh, to uh, welcoming you for education, uh, pleasure reading, uh, discovery, mm -hmm. learning more about yourself. Um, we were told once at a, at a recent uh, event that we had that we read about events and things uh, through books and we experience that. And what we really are doing is developing empathy. And in a world that we live in now, I think empathy is just top on the list for That's sure. So we sad. should all be reading more, right. I think. You know, I grew up really <clears throat> dependent on the library, very shy. We had family issues, and I, I, could, I could just go into my bedroom and read and escape. You know, it's such an escape. And with the new libraries and the refurbishing of the downtown library, I always feel like I'm, you know, people have a stereotype maybe of dusty bookshelves, but it's like going into a really nice Barnes and Noble, but we all pay for it, so it seems free, you know. Exactly. I know a lot we're going to talk about funding, but it is such a resource for right. so many people, no matter what their background. Exactly. It, yeah, that's true, and it's surprising as we've been working on this how many local people, very well-known people, who have said to us, you know, the library is my refuge, and then later they will say sort of, off the record, I, I stayed there because I didn't want to go home. Yeah. And you, I mean, you can work there. It's quiet. You can go in the nook and get your work done, check out anything you want. And uh, I just can't say enough about it. So, Joe, when you called me, I know that you, you wanted to share, first of all, some of our funding where we are. I mean, the tax was passed last year, so luckily we've renewed a millage that was up. But I know that we get a lot of bang for our buck based on what Lafayette Parish taxpayers contribute. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and people like uh, the, the wonderful lady I'm sitting here with, Joan Wingate, are, are one of the reasons that we have such a dynamic community. I pulled a lot of data, found some things I don't think anybody knew. Um, first of all, if you look at, if you compare Lafayette to the other eight metropolitan statistical areas, we're talking Baton Rouge, New Orleans, Monroe, Alexandria, Lake Charles, um, for private donations, we lead the state because of the friends of the human, uh, the friends of the library and wow. the library foundation. Almost every year, we are number one in the state for private donations. If you look at <clears throat> borrowing of materials, mm -hmm. and you look at per capita, uh, and look at traditional materials—books, magazines, movies, music—we lead the state. But what's fascinating is you can remove the per capita. Even though Baton Rouge and New Orleans are so much larger mm -hmm. than we are, in raw numbers, our people check out more materials than the people in either of those cities. And then I started looking at funding, and currently Lafayette is the worst funded of all nine metropolitan statistical areas. Baton Rouge funds their library at 230% the rate we fund ours. Wow. And what's interesting is I kept digging, and in 2018, before the millage failure failed, we we were almost last then. 
we were at number seven, uh, barely above Lake Charles, and not too far above New Orleans. We were almost at the bottom. And yet, with that really inferior funding, our librarians were able to scrape Mm -hmm. together over $20 million to build a new Northside library, to expand two libraries, to do needed upgrades and repairs. And yet people came to us and said, they're wasting your money. This library is is wasting your money. They're overfunded. And the actual fact of the matter is we were already one of the worst funded in the state. I remember hearing people say a couple of three years ago when there was, you know, looking to move to shift some monies out of the library fund that nobody really uses the library. And this is kind of a quiet thing. Like, who really drives by the library parking lot just to see how many cars there are? You know, I know I was always there. And from what you're saying, statistics show that we do have a lot of checkouts in all ways, digitally and I'm sure hard resources and books. But people had a perception, some people that were maybe in the news, that it really wasn't utilized by people. But um, I'm glad to hear these statistics because it's it's not just books that they loan out either. Yes, exactly. And I always like to add my small anecdote. We were living in Spain when COVID hit. And my daughter was not allowed to leave the apartment for 50 straight days. And one of the things that kept her sanity was she could use her little reader Hmm. and check out books from Lafayette. Wow. Do you have to be a member? Like, you have to be a library member to do that. We're living in Spain, and she just Uh checked out books from thousands of miles away. It was wonderful. Now, Joan, you've been engaged for years. I mean... I want you to jump into and talk about some of this. Well, just to say, pre-COVID numbers, uh, maybe 18 or 19, it was close to a million people visited our branches. That's a lot of readership here in Lafayette Parish. And um, I really take umbrage at someone else from out of parish saying that we were overfunded or we had too much money Mm -hmm. in our uh, fund balance and what not, because now we're facing the dire consequences of running our libraries right. and so, so forth. So I think there was some kind of disconnect in the last few years. It looked like we were so prosperous. We were building. The, the uh, parish voters had given us the millage to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, very, you know, wonderful building program that we had for almost 20 years. Uh, and maybe people lost the feel that they were needed in the process and so I think that's part of our job now is more awareness mm-hmm. of what our library needs and your part in keeping our library great. Right, um, right. You know, because it serves so many people. One of my favorite things to do, and I'm sure I'm an annoying person at the library, but if I'm up and down on the elevator, always ask whoever's in there with me, what, are you, what brings you to the library today? And you would be just astounded at the variety of reasons why someone comes to our library. Mm-hmm. They may be the only contact they have with, a, with the internet. They're, they're studying for an exam. They're, um, you know, uh, uh, studying for anything else, doing homework or just reading for pleasure. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's so many things. It broadens your life. It gives it, you a chance to see. Um, I didn't realize people so. could get help with resumes. Like there's all kinds of resources we're not even touching on. And yes. I've used the library many times for public meetings. You know, exactly. you can reserve yes. a library room. I don't even know if there's a charge for it. No, there are no charges. You just have to get in touch with the yes. library and schedule it. As part of uh, our ongoing education as a board member, we have been allowed in the past to attend national conferences, mm-hmm. PLA, Public Library. And I was always just so proud when they would discuss, you know, drive-through windows or uh, meeting rooms. or We'd say, oh, we have that. We yeah. have that. We have that already. Like, we were already... 
way ahead of the game. Mm -hmm. So I certainly hope our community can see the need of our library and how important it is to keep it vital uh, and growing for our growing populations. Our, when the 2002 millage was um, voted on, Lafayette was like static at that point. And look at the growth we've had. Many areas of the city have been uh, have changed. Yeah. Uh, we still need a lot of support in areas that we are underrepresented. Mm -hmm. And we hope that our community can see the importance of that many jewels in our crown yeah. of our library. When Joe mentioned North Saw, you really you meant the Karen Crow branch. I guess it's called North. You know the North. No, no that's North. About. North Side is what they're calling the Northeast. One of the things. The new one that's uh, the one that's planned. We're, planned. we're working Not on under construction but planned the yeah. one that's planned that'll but, be northeast but that yeah. got derailed um, because of uh, all the, the the political mm -hmm. situations um, and and I do want to say the board of control has taken a lot of heat recently and and there are I they know I have some disagreements with them but they made a point last meeting that's absolutely true they have yet to ban a book we have never banned a book in the history of this library and that's remarkable mm -hmm. yeah I did see in the news, though, they won't have displays of books about any one group of people, right? And I don't did y'all always do that, though, Joan? Do you know if they'd always have displays? Like, that would get my eye if it was cookbooks or something. They always I, have know. displays. It could be uh, a certain genre of book, mm -hmm. like, you, like you say. Yeah. Uh, History. In the past few years, we've seen f a few more social displays. But if you read our rules and regs, that really wasn't the place for those kind of displays. Um, if you read closely, the nonprofits can create their own displays, which has had never been done. It was it became the librarian's job. It just got into that position, and I think our new director has brought it back to the rule. Mm -hmm. um, and anyway, I, I do agree with him uh, right. because it's supposed to focus on reading. And if you always single out different groups, it doesn't really. Mm -hmm. do that much to bring you together. Yeah. And already there's enough to divide us, really, in this world today. I guess some so, people feel like I'm just an average person. There's, yeah. no, there's no display about, well, this is an average person there. And yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> they don't do much, and they just try yeah. to stay out of trouble. <laughs> so I went in this week, and there were mystery, you know, reading uh -huh. mysteries and whatnot. So uh, there will always be a display, because yeah. it's kind of marketing for what's like summer new. Reading. And summer reading. Summer yeah, reading, or a genre, or books. whatever. There will always be a display to get your attention, maybe of the new up-and-coming novels or whatever but um anyway we we need to stay on our on the straight and narrow of our of our mission right, right. so i want to ask both of you what got you involved in this in the first place joan while you were still talking what what got your interest peaked in <clears throat> volunteering well i've always been a reader um and read to and read to my own children and grandchildren and um I did uh, partake in, I was a member of Leadership Lafayette. Um, I had three children. I was very busy with my children and helping them grow and being a every kind of mom you needed, a you know, Girl Scout mom or taking them to conventions and always the one that would help and do. Once my children were older, I felt, well, I need a little bit of my own mm -hmm. uh, love. And I loved reading. And... Um, I did Leadership Lafayette, and it brought to focus everyone has to help our community um, and what our needs were. And I thought, well, I love reading. I'm going to just jump in. And just at that time, I was invited to join the board of uh, the, the LPLF board. Mm -hmm. The foundation. And the story begins. Yeah. I have loved every minute of uh, mm -hmm. working and helping and helping this group grow and... Um, and yeah. I've enjoyed it very much. I mean, really tireless volunteer supporters. So, Joe, I know you always, your passion 
precedes you. You, you, you know, I love this community. I love kids. Um, I love reading. And, uh, you know, I, I love reading to my own kids. My 12-year-old, the young lady I just mentioned, she reads like a banshee. Mm-hmm. But we still sit down and read. And sometimes it's kid book, but a month or two back, it was The Hunt for Red October. So we just read all over the place. But if I can kind of insert part of what our sort of changing focus is, um, as a, an emergency physician, I started becoming aware that I can walk up to a stretcher and look at a child six months of age or younger and tell if they've been read to. The, the wheels are turning. They're engaged. They're looking around. Um, wow, Joe. And so I started, and it's a long, interesting story to me, um, a long story um, <laughs> that I started telling parents to read to their kids. Yeah. and From a physiological well, just Standpoint, just huh? everything, just yeah. because it it does everything, mm-hmm. and and the parents would come back to me, and some of them, poor things, were had or barely literate themselves, but they'd come back and they'd say, "I can't believe how smart my kids are." Yeah, there's nothing wrong with your kids. They you just read to them, their little brains will start growing, and so this has become sort of our pitch for the last year's millage. We went to our base. We love libraries. It was a great. Uh, 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 a way to approach it. But for the future, I'm going to try, we are going to try to reach out to business interests with this um, argument about what it does for our economy. And my, this is one of the things we're working on. Imagine we could get every parent to read to their children. What would happen to our schools? What would happen to our universities? What would happen to our economy? With all that money that we would be making, what would happen to the arts and culture? On the other hand, what would happen to crime? What would happen to drug use? What would happen to all sorts of unhealthy behaviors? And what would happen to our health, which would grow up? And most of all, what would happen with our innovator and entrepreneur class? They would just explode. This is so critical. We are entering the innovation economy, and it's going to accelerate. I want to get more into that. I know you've got some thoughts on um, innovation economy. Before we do, in every interview, we pause and look back at a past um, interview that we did. And this one is with the late Dr. David Fisher, whom both of you may have known. He was a well-known educator, also a World War II war hero. And Dr. Fisher, in this clip, looked back on his young adult life when he returned home from the war and started at SLI, which is now UL Lafayette. He was on the GI Bill, And even though he had never seen a football game in person, he became captain of the football team. You can hear Dr. Fisher's full interview, along with many others, at discoverlafayette.net. And now the moment. So I've read that you had not even seen a college football game, and yet you ended up being captain of the the team. Yeah, well, I was lucky. I I was just a kid. You know, my, my first semester there, uh, I was well. By that time, I was 20, mm-hmm. and uh, my my three roommates were all about 26, 27 years old. Because they, they had served in the they, war, also. Yeah, they were had gotten into the service much earlier than mm-hmm. I did, and they just wanted to get there two or three semesters and get on with their lives. Right. So uh, it was a different era for sure. Were, were most of the men at school, they were um, Some, on the GI Bill? like They, they were, were on the GI Bill, uh-huh. and a lot of them were married and had already started families, mm-hmm. you know. Not all of them, but some of them had. Yeah. So they really were looking just mm-hmm. to take those two or three semesters and get their degrees right. and go on with their lives. So the football team, I guess, was older men. Most like, of them were older, yeah. Uh-huh. I, I was the youngest uh, 
I'm sure I was the youngest. I've, I've been the youngest with everything that I've been. I was the youngest guy on my air crew, and I was the youngest guy on the airborne football team, I guess. Welcome back to Discover Lafayette. We're here with Joan Wingate and Dr. Joe Abraham. So, Joe, before the break, you were talking about the innovation economy and the importance of literacy starting from a young age if you want to get back into that. Absolutely. And it's literacy and and but beyond literacy. It's it's bibliophilia, which is a fancy way of saying people who love books. And that's one of the things we've been talking about with the board. What if we could create a community of people who just loved books? And the reason that's so important is that's the first step to create him to read a book, you have to create a world in your head. The the characters need to interact in a stage that you create. So it's such a critical part of developing our imaginations and our ability to visualize. The the, the interesting challenge with innovation, and it's really a, a fascinating philosophical problem, is there's no way to predict it. That's why it's innovation. Nobody saw it's coming. And so if you have a system you can't predict, that you can't control, how do you compete? And the only way to compete is to generate your own innovation. Too many cities think that the way to do that is you go out and you find smart people. And that it absolutely has to be part of our strategy. But my question that I ask everybody is, mm-hmm. what's wrong with our kids? Homegrown. Why can't our kids? Did, did the kids in New York or Austin or Boston or San Francisco or Atlanta, do they have more arms or legs or nerve cells, brain cells than our kids? There's nothing wrong with our kids. And so there's a whole that series of things we will want to do to get our kids ready for the innovation economy so that we have we control our destiny. We don't go to somebody outside and t- say, tell us who we are, tell us where we're going, define our community for us. We define it. And it starts with the kids. And I think I can make the argument, I think not too many people would disagree. It would start with getting parents to read to their kids, and after that, everything gets easy. Mm-hmm. It was such a routine for us when our girls were growing up. It was really the way to get them to sleep at night, Mm. to read a book and then to read from the Bible, you know, and sing. I would come in and sing badly. John was always, (laughs) my husband John just loved reading to the girls. And uh, it's such a tradition, but they look back now and they know so much that they learn when they were tiny, like you're saying. So so true. Yeah. I just want to share one little tidbit here. I had a grandson spending the uh, weekend last weekend. And he was tired and ready to go to bed. I said, what do you normally do now, buddy? He goes, well, we usually read. And then we say our prayers. Mm-hmm. So I said, did you bring any books? Because he loves dinosaurs. He's into all that right mm-hmm. now. I said, not another dinosaur book. But anyway, he said, no, I didn't have any. I said, I have one. Of course, I have you know my routine child books. And it's a book we had read hundreds of times before, a child book, Otis. We read the book, and he was mesmerized because we would talk about the feelings and friendship. And I said, what did you learn from this book? He said, well, I learned how important it is to be a good friend and to care for other people. Mm-hmm. And don't, you know, something, the shoe, the new and shiny isn't always the best way to go. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking a four-year-old is telling me this. I, know. I was so amazed. But it's like they're sponges. You know, and it's time. like, that's what we were talking about just a little bit earlier. Um, the empathy that you develop mm-hmm. by reading is just so... Mm-hmm. It slaps you in the face, really, when you think about the You things. said they're sponges, but it, it's so much more than that. It's like a little sponge that you watch them and they grow an entire coral reef. Mm-hmm. 
because you give them a, I mean, it, it's such a miracle. We talk about teaching children, but they are the ones who see the pattern and just start building out from, you know, you teach a kid how to solve an algebraic equation, which takes some time. And all of a sudden they start going places. You teach, teach a kid to play an instrument. They start making up music to draw. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my little girl, my, my son does it too a little bit, but my little girl just will just pick up a piece of paper and start writing That's right. a, a story yeah. or whatever. With the changes, you know, people going digital, I'm curious if younger, and y'all may not know this, I don't know, but people that are checking out materials, is it equal like digital and books? You know, are people reading to their children on their iPads or I prefer a book just because of my eyes. You know, it's easier for me to focus on a piece of paper I than a digital. I don't have the statistics, but we offer the latest and newest, Everything. whatever format that yeah. is, whatever's uh-huh. convenient for you, we have it. And we'll always have it. And we're the repository of the knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I think there was this kind of a disconnect when uh, the Internet got so big and everyone said, oh, well, no, we don't need a library anymore. Uh, well, libraries, they're obsolete. And I'd say, absolutely not. There needs to be mm-hmm. a place uh, still in your, in your town, in your city, mm-hmm. uh, to, to be the keeper of knowledge and where to go. Yeah. And there are so many uh, apps and things. The library offers for free. You can, like Joe said, he read from Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you can check out books online, digital. A lot of people we hear read a hard, hard book, a mm-hmm. digital book, and then an audio book, and then oh. they kind of, so they don't get really tired with one one, one format. format. Yeah, and it's all free. It's all just there for the mm-hmm. taking, and uh, it's beautiful. People do talk about electronic books, and I, I think particularly for reference work, you're a lawyer. Yeah. You know, it's so much easier to oh, go to find online. it online. Yeah. But when we read to our children. The tactile is so important. Mm-hmm. It's important that the child feel the warmth of the parent or the right. adult or the person reading to them. And for all, for most of us, I would imagine, who love to read, maybe all of us, part of that romance mm-hmm. was paper and ink. And so, uh, you know, I could certainly read to my daughter or my son from a from an iPad or mm-hmm. whatever, or it's whatever, not quite the a, same. a Nook or whatever it is. Yeah. But I, I'd feel like I was cheating them. I would mm-hmm. feel like I wasn't giving them yeah. the best that I had. I just remember those little hands turning the pages. Because, oh, yes. you know, yes. when they know, like, the little golden books and all, they, they know, know the story. They could say it without you reading it to them, but there's something about that rhythm and the routine. But those little hands, just those little fingers turning the pages and knowing, you know, listening to Daddy read. It just, it's, yeah. it's just part of our history. And just a, a play on that about children reading. We had summer reading open... Um, maybe two weekends ago, over a 1,000 children participated in the summer reading opening day. It was fabulous. That is what a wow. library is supposed to look like. It was, it was just beautiful. Oh, my beautiful. goodness. And, and the foundation paid for the pizza. We, we, <laughs> and the kids loved the pizza. But it was, it, it, I don't know of anything, are there a few things in life that touch me more? My wife and I are doing a little, and some friends are doing a little reading project at Holy Family Apartments. We call it Popcorn Popsicles in a Paperback. And um, so we get to talk to some of the parents, and, and we encourage, you know, read to your kids. And so one mom said, oh, now it's the first thing they want to do when they come home from oh, school. It's beautiful. But one of my favorites was a mom who said to me, oh, and she has a little bitty fella. Oh, the other night he got quiet. And we went running into the living room, and he was sitting on the floor looking at his books. Mm-hmm. 
The foundation, I'm glad you brought that up again. The foundation does so much to bring programming into the community, in the libraries, but also into the community. Did I read correctly that, I guess it was this year or the last year, that over a million dollars, right, was raised through some of the fundraising arms of volunteers okay. on behalf of the library? That is true. Friends of the library mm-hmm. uh, have worked tirelessly uh, sorting books and having book sales that are quite visible to the public. They're very yeah. open and uh, about what they do, a uh, fabulous uh, group there. And over 40 years, their uh, efforts raised a million dollars. Okay. 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 And the Friends is our, they're our Friends from mm-hmm. Foundation, and they're two different groups, but uh, their focus is um, overt. You, they raise the money, they give it to the library, and it maybe goes to summer reading programs or something, whatever, it's used up. And then they keep generating the income, and it's keep, it keeps okay. being spent. The foundation is an offshoot of the Friends. Miss Sunny Branch, who was the librarian um, four back or so, uh, had a vision for a support group or support groups in Lafayette mm-hmm. to support the library. And the Friends was the first that was founded. And then maybe two years after the Friends, she just kept pushing, you know, uh, we need this support. Uh, the foundation was formed. And their idea was to have more of a portfolio of investments and whatnot, long-term funding, mm-hmm. um, where then you could generate an, a bigger amount for a bigger project, possibly. And then shortly after the you know, Lafayette's economy went bust and mm-hmm. we lost those hopes of that. But in the, the years after, we have really gained some ground. Uh, the market's been great for us. We, we have a great investment uh, group. And uh, we were able last year to do an, an um, education and informative campaign about our library. Um, right, right. Leading up to the millage election. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was more of a pointing out things maybe that our public just didn't know or had forgotten about right. our library. Right. That it's my library. It's mm-hmm. our library. It's our library. Yes. Yeah. You know, that yeah. ownership of the library. And we, it all depends on us. It depends on our voting for the millage renewals to mm-hmm. keep our libraries funded and operating to the extent that they are now. Award-winning. Our library won the Modisette Award uh, in 2020. Uh, and we got kind of gypped about the recognition because COVID was all mm-hmm. going on. Mm-hmm. But it's not a bad gig to be the best of 64 parishes in Lafayette. Yeah, especially That's a beautiful with the funding thing. level yes. that Joe was explaining. Yes. So we do a lot. With a very little. little. Yeah. Yes. It's very soft. It's very Cajun Creole. Uh-huh. You know, oh, man, no, we'll we do it with less. Yeah. You know. I know, but you need like a minimum yeah. amount oh, yeah. of less. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, this, it, this is too much. We're, start, we started, we're not cutting. We're, we're amputating. How many branches do we have? Nine. Well, we have nine branches. Uh, we, we have the main that's refurbished. Yeah, downtown. We have our four uh, regionals that mm-hmm. were part of that 2002 uh, initiative, and then we have some smaller branches uh, totaling nine, like a uh, Clifton Chenier. Clifton Chenier. Um, uh, there's another one. There's uh, put you on the spot. Um, the city's um, Scott is Scott one of the regionals? Scott's a regional. regional. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. You got Youngsville Scott. Well, I can look it up on the website yeah. and put it in the show notes. Uh, yeah, but, I'm embarrassed. But we should, she okay. and I should be able you to rattle Milton. this off. Yes. I'm gonna, and I'm going to go home and memorize them. And then there's Bookmobile. We do also. have a Bookmobile. Mm-hmm. Um, after years of not having a Bookmobile, I grew up on the Bookmobile, so it has you a did. soft spot, spot in my heart. Mm-hmm. Um, I couldn't wait for it to come. Oh. You know, on the, but anyway, we did 
get a new a, a new bookmobile, and the foundation paid for the illustrative wrap that mm-hmm. uh, you know is so inviting, adventure yeah. at every corner or whatever mm-hmm. the theme is. It's a precious uh, uh, part, and it does move around, and it does go to uh, many places. Nursing homes, schools, apartment complexes, um, you know, places where there's a need or they, mm-hmm. they've asked possibly and yeah. uh, they show. That's wonderful. And it's good to make it mobile. Yeah. Well, I'm hoping that the Northeast branch will become a reality because that area of our parish is really so underserved in so many ways yeah. and transportation isn't, you know, is readily available for every yes. family and that in particular in that area of our, our town and our parish. Yeah, and that... that you know, um, and and the uh, the throughway just cuts Divides. that part. I mean, just across yeah. the throughway, you've got Clifton Chenier, but I would not want to cross it. I would certainly not want my children to cross it. Uh, then we need that that we call it northeast, north side. You mm-hmm. do have Karen Crow, which is technically north side right. too, but right. north. That that is for that neighborhood. We that's that's a desperate need mm-hmm. for those. It kids. is a desperate need, and the RFP is being executed. As we speak, so we are making progress. It's a little slow because we're hesitant because of mm-hmm. the funding situation. But you have to press on. Yeah, definitely. Um, and um, I think sometimes people uh, tend to think that that Northeast Library was something that was left behind, and it was not a left behind. Um, when we first discussed having uh, this big. Uh, funding package that was approved in 2002. It was for five regionals and a uh, refurbishing of Maine and a 60 million uh, ability to get bonds or mm-hmm. you know, bond issuance. The powers that be decided, oh, we'll, you know, we'll lose for sure. Then we'll lose, the baby will go out with the bathwater kind of thing. We need to push back, go down a little. So it was four regionals, which we did build, and of the refurbished Maine, and we dropped our to our uh, bonds to 40 million. But at the time that these schematics were done and all the research, every library that was built or proposed was within the same geographic area of our parish that people were, I think it was 3.5 miles mm-hmm. away from a library. So even if Chenier is there, now there's this impediment to it. It wasn't it wasn't such an impediment before. I see. As we said in 2002, we're comparing what we know about the area now. Oh, it's grown so much. It's, it's yeah. grown in different ways and right. lessened in many ways. Changes have happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's never been a left behind. And I'm from that end of town as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't feel that I'm left behind, but I feel we do we, we do need a library in that area simply because of the logistics right. and the way the world is now, right. uh, lack of transportation and, and so much. But I just wanted to kind of get that out there. Thank it was you. a fair process right. uh, from the beginning. Yeah, we, we, we desperately need that one. Mm-hmm. But we, we've gone over that. But I, I worry about the kids over there. Those kids, they will either be an asset or they will be a liability. And if we think that we can just neglect them and turn our backs on them, we know what's gonna, what the future looks like. Are there any topics you wanted to bring up that we didn't bring up yet? Um, there, you know, we are facing so many challenges, but in one way, I think that these challenges have a silver lining. I, I hope Joan would, would agree with me. The, the challenges to the library have brought out so many strong candidates for the foundation board. There are just such a diversity of talents, of energies, of expertise. 
And previously, it was like, okay, who wants to serve? We wouldn't have a full board, whatever. And it was just, you know, it was a group of mm-hmm. friends who got together, raised a little money. We have, we'll see how it goes, but we have a team of people and some super sharp, super energetic people. Um, and going back to the records, what limited uh, time I've been able to d- d- devote to that, um, th- this organization is really changing right now for the better. That's great. Right. I just have one thing I'd like to say about, um, I guess, the funding uh, and the, the budgetary crisis we're in now. <clears throat> I think things happen as they're supposed to. Uh, and I think for sure, we'll, Lafayette will never let this happen again, to be facing such a dire situation with our libraries. <clears throat> um, and I think... The causes of why we lost that election are, are clear if you kind of step back and look at it. We won the 2002 millage and the building, and we got busy building. I mean, we were building. That's all we did. You, I got on the board at that time, and that's all we did was review plans and meet with architects mm-hmm. and just on and on. And I think, in retrospect, we could have kept a little bit more contact with our public authority and also our public to let them know what we were doing. You kind of, we kind of lost that connection that we won in 2002. Here comes 18, and they, I guess it was a you know, perfect storm of so many things. Library funding never loses. It was like a first. Uh, you know, people had other things to do. They're so busy, they're doing the right thing, it'll pass, you know, that kind of thing. And we lost that millage. So I think, and we're now we're experiencing the, the end result, or dealing with this loss. Uh, where we're scrambling to make cuts and keep our, our libraries running for our public. Um, that's one thing that I don't think will ever happen again because people are a little aware, a little bit more aware now of their responsibility in this picture. So that's, I hope that is kind of mm-hmm. where we're going, where people are a little bit more aware of their job in this, in this uh, keeping our libraries going. It takes, yeah. it takes you to use your libraries, one, and then vote for millages when they come around, because that's the how you get that's how you get your budget in place to keep these beautiful buildings mm-hmm. running and operating for everyone, offering free and equal access to all media, twenty four seven. If you look at our online services as well, it's beautifully so. said. It's really a cherished right mm-hmm. and responsibility to vote in every election, exactly. But especially for the library, right? <laughs> and for yes. and for our yeah. children, always for the yeah. kids. Yeah. yeah. Guys are so eloquent, and um, I want to thank you, Joe. Thank you for reaching out to me because I, I just can't think of a topic as important. You know, uh, there's a lot of important topics out there, but to keep our libraries functioning and available to people throughout the parish is just critical. So thank you for your years of volunteer service. It's just a pleasure to have you both here. Again, we've been listening to um, Dr. Joe Abraham and Joan Wingate. And I want to thank you for listening to Discover Lafayette. And I'd also like to thank our sponsors who make the show possible. Oxner, Lafayette General, Home Bank, and Raider. And in particular, Jason Sikora, who mixes our tape and makes it sound professional. On behalf of Discover Lafayette, this is Jan Swift. 